Consummate athletes seeks health, community, and adventure through movement. And here on the podcast, longtime endurance coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford and author and cycling coach Molly Herford are helping you lead your best active, adventurous life. Every week, we talk with professional athletes, health and fitness experts, and of course, real-life consummate athletes. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Peter, how's it going? It is going well. Yes, we have been hiking and moving around and chasing a miniature dachshund, uh, carrying mostly the miniature dachshund. But yes, we are doing well. The bike skills stuff is carrying on. People are working on that. Um, I've been excited this year. There's actually been a bit of a, I don't know if it's a movement uh, from road to gravel, but uh, maybe that was happening pre-COVID anyhow. Uh, but definitely, you know, there's this movement to the off-road disciplines is a little more abrupt. We have fitness, we have engines, but then all of a sudden the traction gets taken out and the hills get steeper up and down, right? So it's been really cool working with people in that sort of more, I, I guess, open road. You know, it's sort of like we're out on gravel roads, um, but it's been neat. Whole another group of people. So Nice. Nice. I like it. Um, How about yourself? What are you doing? Well, DW and I had a treadmill incident that we're not going to talk uh, about. Oh, yeah. We were trying. Molly was running quite vigorously on the treadmill. Uh, and uh, DW tried to get in on the game. He, but, uh, he, his turnover is not uh, <laughs> quite to that pace yet. He's fine. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's been a, a fun few days with things like that. I've actually started to uh, add back in some strength and yoga, just sort of like as the as I started thinking about our mid-season reset as per last Friday's episode. Yes, check that one out. I, uh, I started kind of thinking like, what do I miss and what, what do I feel and like? And you I'm said missing? treadmill running. I said treadmill <laughs> running. Yeah, love it. Can't get enough August of it. treadmill running. Um, no. Well, I mean, yes, in, in certain cases, but no, I realized I really missed strength training and doing, you know, I have my morning core and strength and yoga routine that I do every morning, but I hadn't been doing any extra strength or any like different yoga videos or anything like that. Right. And I think because I've been teaching yoga more, I've realized how important it is to keep doing other people's yoga videos to, you know, just kind of keep ideas. learning and yeah. get ideas and, you know, learn about new cues and new ways to talk about different, different poses and stuff. So kind of getting back to that's been really fun. I still... Running is still my number one, but it's it's been interesting to kind of get back to the stuff that I, I really love, the the more consummate athlete-y stuff, if you will. Yeah, I was doing a, a strength sh session, I guess, uh, sort of just movement assessment as much as strength, but with a client. And we actually, she had the great insight of um, a lot of times in these core things, you know, you're doing two sets or three sets or whatever, right? And sometimes it's nice if like it's just a little different, you know, same but different, right? So maybe you're doing like side planks, on the first one and then maybe you're doing like band sideways walking you have a band around your ankle and you're walking sideways and it's still working the side of your hip but it's a little different right so it's keeps it novel right and i like your idea of like even just you're still doing yoga and maybe it's still the same basic idea but someone says you know you know try and really rotate your femur a little bit or squeeze your butt here or you know look in a different spot put your arms over your head you know it's still same stuff, but a little little different, right? Little variations. Yeah, exactly. And with strength, I'm trying really hard to avoid doing what I usually do, which I was telling Peter yesterday, like I'm too strong for my own good a lot of the time, so I can go out and lift heavy things, but then I'll be sore for a week and confused why I'm sore. So I'm trying really hard to focus on body weight and really light weights to start and like slowly creeping them up because even though I can do the heavier stuff does not mean I should. Yeah, yeah. So that's I, I don't know if that's necessarily your... I guess you can say it's your your muscular build, but I think that's maybe Thanks, a lot of people. It's it's very easy to go too hard on strength, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so last week's episode on the mid-season reset kind of actually had me thinking about this week's episode uh, where we have nutrition expert Ann Guzman on talking all about red S. Uh, so right. I, so I, this is the relative energy deficiency in sport. Yes, not syndrome, as I have accidentally said. Yes, a bunch many. Of times. I think they bash their head against the wall, but that's yeah. what, that's what happens with acronyms. Yeah, so. very sorry. Uh, I don't say it in this episode. I get it right, but I've said right. it before. And you guys talk about the definition of this, so people yes. can get a little. It's you know a big topic in this episode, so we won't go belabor that. Yeah. So I think the mid, like the reason I'm thinking about it now with the mid-season reset idea is because I think. Uh, Given we haven't really been able to race a lot this season, I think there's a lot of people who shifted their racing goals to weight loss goals. I think there's a lot of people who, you know, would normally be more adequately fueling their rides and stuff because they're thinking about like racing strong on the weekend. Um, and now I think you have a lot of people who 
I'll say, you know, I've been in this camp too. I have ditched a lot of like the sports nutrition stuff as far as like the gels and the sports drinks and everything because like there's no racing. So why right. do I need the supplement type stuff? Right. Which yeah. is, I mean, I'm, I'm on board with, but it does take effort then to, you to need keep, to replace that, keep those foods coming in and making those, making your energy bites or whatever you're going to eat. You know? Yeah, exactly. So I just think like, you know, during race season, of course, this is always going to be an issue, but I think it's maybe a little bit more insidious when there isn't racing happening. It's, it's easier to kind of fall into Could be. these. Yeah. You remind me of the episode with Dr. Bubbs. One of the big takeaways for me from that episode in his book, uh, peak is his book, I believe, um, is a great book on just all things, sports, nutrition and sports performance. And he made the observation that people often try and set body composition goals and performance goals at the same time. And those are like opposed, right? Like they're, they're two different things. Yeah. Um, and not that you can't have phases of the year. We talk a lot about phases, right? But that was his big observation that like, you can't go for, both yeah, this is time. the like donkey in the middle of his food and his water who dies of thirst and hunger. Cause he can't decide, right? Like this is this, this idea. Um, so basically you're a jackass. Well, I didn't say that, but this is the lesson from that fable. Uh, and then the other episode, what other episode am I thinking about here with, uh, oh, the other thing I, I'll link to is uh, there's a great webinar that hopefully will sort of augment this for anyone who wants to go deeper on Red S with Trent Stellenworth. Who's, we actually uh, talk about oh, that perfect, in this episode. Yeah. yeah, so we'll link to that because it was right as sort of heart of the, I guess the heart of, you know, during COVID, they did Lockdown. a bunch of actual webinars and stuff just talking about that because people were, you know, not training outside and stuff. So again, same sort of pattern of like, oh, I'm not training as much, so I just won't eat type mindset right so a lot of things that we need to address with this but um i think Anne's probably better suited to talk about a lot yeah, of this. Yeah, and I think the last caveat is if you're a guy who thinks that this is not about you, uh, keep listening because yeah. Red S is definitely both a female and a male problem. This is not just a women's issue. This is a athlete issue. Yeah, and you're seeing a bit of some of the like more retired pro men and stuff now from road, especially sort of speaking out about like how, you know, athletes are getting leaner and leaner and leaner. Um you know, I'm pushing the limit way too far. Right. And, and this is becoming health consequences is more broken bones and, and from crashes and stuff. So, yeah. Oh, and the last thing I will mention is, uh, if you head over the show notes, we're going to link to Anne's podcast that she did with me. Um, uh, imperfect progress. I was on and talked about all things shred girls and women's cycling and women's sport. So it was a really fun episode to do with her. So definitely check that one out as well. And without further ado, enjoy this conversation with Anne Guzman. Anne Guzman, welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me on. Of course, I'm so excited about this. I feel like we've we've talked so much over the last few years that I'm I'm surprised we haven't had this conversation yet. Um, but you've, I mean, you've been in sort of like the the nutritional sphere and like the cycling sphere for a really long time. So how did you first kind of get into the world of endurance sport? Um, yeah, great question. Uh, I came from, so I came from wrestling out of university. Whoa, whoa, and... hold on a second. <laughs> yeah, a lot of what? people don't know that. <laughs> that is amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I grew up in an athletic family. We did every sport, right? My, my dad was the um, president of the Etobicoke Husky Striders. So him and my sister, Jen, they were really big into running. And I just did every sport, soccer, jiu-jitsu, volleyball, basketball, you name it. I loved all sports, but I was never really serious into any. And then I went to university, ended up on the freestyle wrestling team. So it was uh, first time I got really serious about any sport. So I did that for four years, like 15, 20 hours a week. It's funny because I was thinking about it the other day. When I have young clients, I'm like, God, they're just so energetic. I'm like, I guess I, I guess I did that too, but you know, times have changed. So yeah, the jump from that to cycling was pretty big because you know, wrestling's a five-minute sport. Now it doesn't mean that you don't have to be really fit to be able to execute that five minutes well. But when I left university, I kind of went into the gym business world, training and health center and managing health clubs. And I was just in this limbo. It was the first time in my life I had no sport. And eventually it just, I was like, oh, I need another sport. So it's funny because it was, it was kind of a toss of a coin, something else we were just <laughs> talking about that tossed a coin about. But 
yeah, I was like, do I want to be a rower or a cyclist? And it was really like that because I was taking a lot of spinning classes at Gears Bike Shop in Port Credit. Okay. And and I remember the owner, Kevin Wallace, uh, was like, oh, you're really into this. You should try bike racing. And just like that, I was like, okay, I don't like getting up early and rowing is like a 5 a.m. sport. Yeah. So I'm going to try cycling. So I just bought a bike and I laughed because I, I hired Denise Kelly, which was like way over my head. I'd really just been riding a bike casually and it's like, oh, I want to go hire the best coach in Canada. But you know, it all, it all worked out really well because I kind of got thrown into a pack of wolves. I, I couldn't even ride for an hour with her group. Like I was just getting spit out the back left, right and center. <laughs> Yeah, super humbling. But on the other hand, what a cool and amazing group of people who I still am in touch with these days that were just so supportive. And we had so much fun. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if that scenario exists as much today, because we did all of our training together. Um, You know, we'd meet on Wednesdays, do our intervals together, do our weekend training together. And it was just amazing. So yeah, I was lucky to, I guess, get into the sport being surrounded by, you know, Amy Moore and Mike Moore and Anita Legler and Sue Trimble and, you know, so many other great riders that, A, were amazing human beings and mm-hmm. would come back every time I got dropped and they'd push me up and they were just so encouraging that I just kept showing up and showing up and showing up and then eventually I could keep up and yeah, it was just, uh, that that was my entrance into it. And I, you know, stayed with that group for years. And I was really lucky, I think, looking back, because I got to learn how to ride a bike versus maybe now, sometimes a lot of people learn indoors. And that doesn't always come with the skill set. Totally. So, yeah, I was lucky to learn like how to maneuver in a group and simple things like wind and yeah, just skills that come with the sport and etiquette of group riding that was just always instilled from the beginning in that group. Oh, I'm so glad you said that because that's something, I mean, something Peter and I talk about all the time is like a lot of people, especially like people who are kind of entering that, like, I mean, you were, you were still pretty young then, but like entering that, like almost master's athlete, like post collegiate career side of things, like they're iffy about hiring a coach, but you were just like, yeah, best coach in Canada. And then I mean, (laughs) like look where it got you like look at the skills and stuff like that that you actually got to learn that you wouldn't have otherwise right yeah for sure and even to watch like the I guess the mindset of athletes who were already there racing at the elite level and just you know I I was lucky because I remember showing up to some local races and I wasn't welcome right not everyone in the peloton on the road is is kind. That's just an unfortunate truth. There's a reason I don't race road. Like, let's let's put that right out there. Yeah, but the ones who are, like, you never forget them. And even though I was getting lapped, like, several times, like, they're just those women who are just amazing and so supportive. So I felt really lucky from that side of it, too, not just the skills, but to see, like, a look at these really humble women who actually were the ones winning the races. And, yeah, that was just you know it's nice to see that it's important to me that's more important than winning the race right mm-hmm. how you're treating your fellow competitors so all right I was lucky I'm grateful for that yeah and then so you, it, the cycling and the wrestling are both two really interesting sports from like a nutrition and like body image and I mean in wrestling's case an actual like weight well actually no both of them have very objective weight things right in wrestling there's weight classes and in cycling there's power to weight which is a very objective measurable thing um so how did did that kind of, like did those things lead to you getting inter- interested in like the nutrition side of things or when did that come about um i guess i always really enjoyed nutrition so my undergrad was in kin and when i was in kin i took several nutrition courses and yeah, I always was interested in it. And of course, at first, you know, you don't know that much. And every time I look back, you know, the whole Dunning-Kruger, you think you know a lot, and then you learn more, and then you realize, oh, my God, I don't know anything. So it's just like a slow progression of always being interested and not necessarily related to the sport back then, to be honest. Like when I was wrestling, I just remember just eating like I, I wasn't thinking that deeply about it back then is the truth like I just ate and I wrestled and probably the youth of it um, you know a lot of young athletes kind of 
look at the sun and <laughs> gain energy yep. versus when you're like my age, it's like you're a lot more invested uh, because you almost have to be because you don't have the same energy. But yeah, I mean, I guess I would say that in a sense, based on my genetics and natural size, like I, I never had to cut weight in wrestling. Um, I'm not sure if I would have, if that was different, but I kind of weighed within 10 pounds of my weight for my whole life. Yep. But I definitely saw uh, weight cutting and, you know, it was extreme sometimes. Some of the guys on my team, I mean, there were only a few females on the team, but some of the guys were losing 15 pounds in a day or two, cool. right? So, and now, now we see, you know, how serious that is, how dangerous that is. So that that's a very different type of relationship with weight that, you know, I sense there's a lot of attention going there now. You see some pretty scary videos out there about, um, you know, wrestlers and, and other martial artists getting weighed and how they're half passing out. I mean, it's really dangerous and mm -hmm. hopefully they're working with professionals in the industry um, that can get to that weight in a much healthier way or realize that they're going to be stronger at, a more you know weight closer to their natural weight but with cycling I guess like you said also power to weight related but you know not not really in the same way and again I admittedly never really thought about that because yeah I mean I never really felt that I had to and and again I was put into a scenario where it was never actually brought up which was pretty amazing I was thinking about this the other day as well, that I was brought up in a house that I never heard anyone talk about dieting and we just ate. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting because I've been thinking about this. We did go to KFC sometimes. Sure. 80% 80, 80 of our meals were like my mom was cooking like shepherd's pie or just normal foods right mm -hmm. and then yeah I remember we would go to McDonald's but there was never any um, moral judgment put on anything to do with food and maybe that's why I've been lucky to just go through sport and just eat um, that doesn't always mean I, I ate well enough to fuel my sport right and I will probably mm -hmm. touch on the unintentional under fueling that often happens in a sport yes. like cycling. Yeah, and I think I, in retrospect, I um, I was probably, I was, I was part of that unintentionally. So there's the intentional and then unintentional. And, you know, just, I don't necessarily think, you know, yeah, I loved climbing. I actually really enjoyed climbing. Um, whether my size, you know, played into that naturally, sure, maybe, but I also think that you know, there's a fine line to getting too lean, right? And then things start to crumble and, and fall apart. So when it comes to cycling, I think, you know, we're at our best when, you know, we're at a healthy weight. And obviously, you don't want to be carrying um, too much excess weight. It doesn't, you know, it's not going to help you in certain scenarios. But, but again, there's, you know, there's always a fine line of, why are you getting that lean? Like, what is it really going to improve your performance? Or is there a point where it's going to become detrimental? Mm -hmm. So yeah, for me, I guess I do feel a little fortunate as far as, you know, I was in these two sports that probably, well, definitely, you know, there's a lot of disordered eating and eating disorders in those sports. But yeah, I've been fortunate to not um, be in, I guess, sucked into that. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's super interesting, you know, mentioning the the with or without disordered eating element of the the energy deficiency, and so you know, a big thing that we wanted to talk about today is is um, uh, what is the acronym now? It's relative energy deficiency in sport. It's red S. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of our, our main topic for today. And when you mentioned, you know, you probably accidentally underfueled. It was interesting. I was looking up today what the old um, the old elements of the former like female athlete triad were, and mm -hmm. I noticed in the past year a bunch of the definitions got rewritten where it's saying like, okay, now it's red S. But in case you were wondering, the female athlete triad is like uh, loss of a period, uh, osteoporosis, and 
it was energy deficient with or without disordered eating. And it used to be, it had to be disordered eating to kind of count in that like female athlete triad. Um, And now I think a lot of attention is being paid to the fact that it is mostly unintentional, I would say, uh, that people are getting themselves into trouble. Yeah, I don't know like the statistics on unintentional or not. But as far as like the female athlete triad, I wouldn't say that you know, it's not gone, it still exists and it's within red. So if you mm-hmm. look at the IOC, like 2018 most updated consensus statement, you'll see the reds, you know, it looks like a hub of a wheel and then all the the spokes coming out from it just to show all the areas that impacts. But within the reds, there's still the female athlete triad. And like you said about that interrelationship between energy availability, menstrual function and bone mineral density, um, which may or may not include the eating disorders. And I mean, you make a good point in that may or may not also because, you know, to have to, it's kind of on a spectrum, right? So it's from health to disease. But at any point, even in the diseased extreme state, you might only have one of those things, right? So you don't have to have all three. So maybe it's your bones that are really impacted or menstrual function, or maybe you do have an eating disorder or you don't, but you still have the bone mineral density um, you know, you have low bone mineral density. So it can be just kind of on a spectrum of, you know, not as bad to, to worse. And that's kind of similar with the, the red S. So mm-hmm. really the, you know, it exists on a spectrum and then you can fall anywhere within that spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, we wanted to talk a bunch about red S here. And the first thing I really wanted to ask you is like, who, like, who are you, who are you seeing slash like, who can end up with it? And obviously I am asking a very leading question here, but I think when people think about like, you know, any of these energy deficiency things, we automatically think of like, you know, the stick skinny ultra marathoners who are like, you know, passing out midway through a race or something like that. Um, Yeah. I mean, there is no body shape or size that is equal to our relative energy deficiency in sport. So, you could be any size, right? So it's it's certainly not related to size. Of course, if you are in a sport and you're specifically and intentionally trying to get lean or unintentionally getting lean because you're in a sport like cycling that expends so many calories that you're just kind of lacking the insight perhaps or haven't taken the time to sit down and see okay like what am I consuming what am I expending and really what underpins both the triad and red s is low energy availability so when you're looking at that what am I consuming what am I expending and what's left over to operate my body right so that's your energy availability and so I mean you just have to think of a bunch of different body sizes and of course Anyone can fall into that. Anyone can be expending more energy than they're consuming and left with that low energy availability. It's not related to size. So I think it is a stereotype that, you know, only... And here's a really interesting point related to what you're saying about body size. Athletes with the better body compositions are actually often the ones meeting their energy needs. Mm -hmm. Right? And that sometimes is like, oh, what do you mean? Like, oh, she's ripped. She must have such and such. And I really, you know, I don't, I don't like when I hear that because there's this assumption if an athlete, obviously, you know, if you have like 3% body fat and you're a female, that's different. But just because someone is lean, you know, normally lean and let's say muscular, it doesn't mean there's something wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So an athlete that's actually consuming enough energy is able to build muscle. Mm-hmm. right is able to have a better body composition versus lighter body weight and that is something that i always try to you know talk to clients about that okay you want to build muscle but it's a you're you're into a headwind if you want to build muscle and you're just not you know giving yourself enough energy to do that because muscle is not a priority for survival neither is yes. bone and neither are hormones, right? So if you're not eating enough to get those bonuses, like lean body mass, then you're gonna have a hard time. Like if you are looking for an aesthetic, let's say, like it's gonna be hard to build that muscle if you're not even eating enough to build it. 
Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. And I think I actually like personally, I think I'm a good example of that happening because when so when I did Iron Man first, I was 22 years old. So like 22, you're still life is still easy for you from like a body composition standpoint compared to, you know, as you get older. And I was, you know, very much on the like, I had a coach that once told me to eat like 1800 calories a day. Uh, despite mm-hmm. like Iron Man training, so like thirty hours wow. a week of training, and I was following that, and I was, you know, like finished Iron Man. I sucked. Um, a few years, like four years, five years later, uh, we did or six years, six years later, we did one um, three years ago, and I trained less. I ate a ton more, and mm-hmm. I was, I think I was probably ten pounds leaner than I was when I did the first one, despite eating significantly more. Like, yeah, training more appropriately. My time was three hours faster. Um, That's amazing. So yeah, it turns out eating more, <laughs> like eating appropriately for the work you're doing. Uh, yeah, actually puts you in like your better body composition versus like not fueling enough for it. And could you maybe like explain why that like why we like hang on to all of our extra fat then like we're, we're losing our bone density, but somehow our muffin top remains. <laughs> Well, I mean, again, it's just that you're you're changing the composition, right? So you might be getting um, skinnier, as in like weight-wise on a scale, if you're cutting calories, not eating enough, but you're also losing muscle. So now the composition is just changing to be higher in body fat. So a lot of people will say, you know, skinny fat, not mm-hmm. not that I love the term, but it's very different. You could be the same weight now, and now you've added muscle, but your composition is different. So really, you're you're losing muscle, and that's really what's impacting the composition. But you made a good point there about, um, you know, when you ate more, not only did you lean out, and of course you performed better. And I think if we can think of it as like a positive cycle, when you eat more, you can train harder. Mm-hmm. When you can train harder, you can, you know, you can improve your performance, you can build muscle. And I think if people just give it a chance, you know, it's a big fear of eating more. Yeah. But for, for an athlete, I mean, I guess a, you have to decide what's more important to you, how you look or how you perform. Right. Mm-hmm. Because some, some athletes will have a difficult time answering that question. And I asked the question, right? What's mm-hmm. more important to you, how you look or how you perform. And if it's how you perform, then it's kind of stepping across and, you know, getting beyond the fear that exists for a lot of athletes of eating carbohydrates and consuming enough of them and then seeing, oh, wow, I can hit my top end. Like for once, I've been so flat for so long, I can never do VO2s. I always get dropped on the kicker on the hills. And so it's like that, I think, motivates an athlete to continue to eat more. But I think a, a big part of it, and I'm glad that you'll have to tell us how, but you, you took that step forward and, and unfortunate that you had a coach that was um, asking that you eat so little for the amount of work you were putting out, but it's so good that you did find another path and one that just perpetuated like positive outcomes, but we need that, right? Need to, yeah. so even if it's just that one workout, you know, the beauty about, you know, storing some glycogen is really 48 hours later, you could possibly have a really amazing workout. So to just have like, you know, the trust that just by having that fuel, you can perform better. And if it's about performance, that typically is really motivating for an athlete. Um, Of course, if it's about aesthetics and if it's an eating disorder, then that's when I'm looking for a sports psychologist who specializes in that, that I can refer out to because that's a very different scenario. All right, jumping in here to tell you about Wattbike, a smart bike that's capable of connecting to the leading training and racing apps at Ham Zwift. Wattbike's been around for a long time now. They've been working with, you know, professional organizations like the UCI Cycling Centers doing their Talon ID. So you know that these bikes are very accurate. Yeah, and not only are they accurate, they actually have a real road feel. So if you're really sick, like I am, of riding on trainers that feel like you're, you know, just pedaling away into nothing, uh, this one will actually make it feel like you're riding out on the road. That's right. And they have uh, their own Watt Bike Hub that you can access different climbs and courses and use their very accurate erg mode that, again, feels very road-like and natural while you're riding indoors. 
Yeah, it's a great way to train this winter or, I mean, really any time that the weather prohibits you from getting outside. And it's simple. It means you don't have to, uh, you know, clean off your other bike and dust it off and get it onto the trainer and try to figure all that out. That's right. It removes a lot of these uh, points of interaction. So it's, it's, again, sort of helps with the accuracy. It helps you get on the bike and train. Um, And the last piece that I really like about Watt Bike is they have this pedal stroke uh, analysis and, and just different ways they can graphically show and help you sort of coach you through improving your pedal stroke while you're indoors, right? And I love these ways that we use the context. We are stuck indoors. So why not work on on these different aspects of our pedaling and our performance? Yeah. So to find out more, you can head over to wattbike.com slash US. That's W-A-T-T bike.com slash US. Now back to the show. I think even, even if it is like about aesthetics, like there still is that like need to fuel. Like you're still like there's there's a certain draw like there's a point where it's just not gonna work if you're if you're not eating enough Um, like yeah your body's not gonna look that great your skin's gonna be a a mess like you're gonna feel super puffy all the time it's not gonna go well no and at first you know what happens i think often is at first when someone might let's say let's say it is intentional or it's not right so maybe someone starts losing weight because their training volume goes up and they're um, you know, eating into their body's energy, or they do it intentionally. And then they get these early good results from that, mm-hmm. right? So that it hasn't, the repercussions haven't necessarily kicked in yet. And so from those early results, that might be like, oh, you're looking great, and you're climbing better. And so unfortunately, sometimes within like the sporting organization, you might actually get a pat on the back for that. And now maybe the coach doesn't know what's going on. Um, they don't, you know, realize exactly what's happening. But there can be that early success, but then it eventually is going to backfire if you're dealing with that low energy availability. But you can get addicted to that, right? Totally. Oh, it worked at first. So if I get leaner and leaner, maybe I'll get faster and faster. And we probably both witness athletes in the peloton who, you know, eventually they broke um, in that. You know, whether you're going to break psychologically, uh, performance wise, whether you're going to, you know, there's so many factors that can start happening. You're, you're getting sick all the time. Uh, you can't recover, can't hit your top end, uh, you're getting stress fractures. So, yeah, yeah. And that actually leads, I was going to ask you what sort of some of your like red flags are if someone comes to you. What are sort of some of the. Yeah, ways that you're like, oh, okay, we might be heading down this road and hopefully we can nip this in the bud sooner rather than later. But yeah, what are you looking for? Well, first I would say, I mean, if you have any red flags, like definitely going to a doctor, right? Because what some of the red flags I'm about to mention can be underlied by other things unrelated to reds. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, some red flags as far as, I guess... I guess some that are behavioral versus some that I might see in a food journal, right? So often when I start with clients, um, assuming that it's healthy for them to journal, and what I mean by that is for some people it might not be productive to journal if they have a history of disordered eating or eating disorders, and that's going to lead to obsessiveness. Right. So if we realize that it's a it's a productive thing to do, then you know you're looking at things like. Um, eating too clean, right? So that might mm-hmm. sound silly. I hate the word clean, but I I, know. I'm going to use it because people relate to it. Yeah. And so, I, you know, and there's nothing, obviously there's nothing wrong with eating lots of vegetables and produce, but if you're putting out 15, 20 hour weeks and everything you eat is vegetables and, you know, lean chicken or whatnot, that athlete will often be like, oh, but I'm so full right? I'm so full, but then I'll see the journal and be like, yeah, you're so full, but you're not even close to meeting your energy needs. So seeing at that, looking at timing, um, I'll I'll look, I'll go over some things that I see in food journals and then how they might represent in the body. So the time, the timing of eating. So you might see an athlete um, is meeting their energy needs, but they're barely eating until 4 p.m. So even the timing can lead to that Uh, some of the outcomes of reds, which is really interesting. Jennifer Saigo did some research looking at that in in sprinters. And even if you looked at two athletes consuming the same amount of calories, but one had these four or five hour gaps where they didn't eat, 
even that can lead to some of the symptoms of REDS, which is really interesting. Um, just seeing athletes not eating on the bike, super common, really common. So again, kind of similar light eating at in a certain part of the day, they go for these long rides. They maybe have something small at the, at the stop on the ride. Mm-hmm. And then just this really big dinner trying to make up for it. Um, yeah. which yeah, that tends to eat, lead to poor choices too. So oh, a hundred percent. And that's, that's been right. me in the past too. Like I, I get where that's coming from. Like, Oh, me too. Absolutely. And like, suddenly you're at the fridge, like chugging from From whatever's in there. Yeah. Things you would not normally do that. You're just like, what is wrong with me? Yeah. I've totally been there. Like I've, I've been through all of these things. Um, and then even like the fear of gaining weight, you just see that when you're talking to an athlete sometimes, but, and just overall low carbohydrate. So some things that you might, um, see whether it's in an intake form or just through conversation so increase in moodiness um, and anxiety definitely for women a loss of irregular menstruation or or failure to even start by 16 Um, and then a lowered libido or lack of morning erections for males because of lower testosterone Uh, maybe your inability to, to just be consistent in training or you just lack like endurance or even coordination. If you have a sport with a lot of coordination, you're getting injured a lot. You have that nagging injury. You just can't seem to recover uh, for younger athletes, like a stunted growth. And you know, that might be intentional for a young athlete who sees their counterpart go through puberty and that maybe, not always, but maybe their performance slides back for a year or two as Mm -hmm. they, you know, change through puberty. Um, and then they're like, I don't want that to happen to me. And so they might actually intentionally in that case, um, you know, eat less and not get uh, a period or even with males. I don't want, I, you know, it's not all about women, just that in that age group, women do tend to gain more body fat during puberty than males do. So yeah. in that case, um, and then decreased bone health. I mean, you're not going to see that, but you might see stress fractures, right? So you're not going to, I'm not going to look at you and be like, oh, I'm all of your bones. Um, but that's something you see through a stress fracture, um, even GI problems and sleep disturbances. Mm-hmm. There's so, I mean, there's so many things and I guess that's why I'm really, um, careful to say, make sure you also, you go see a doctor. So of course I can help with the nutrition side and see, okay, you know, we're, we're just can do some basic math and then look at some habits and, and whatnot. But you know, moodiness and depression. I mean, is that because you're under eating or do you have depression? Right. So these are not things we just want to overlook and, and assume mm-hmm. that it's rest, even though they are related, but just making sure that, uh, you know, what came first there, the chicken or, or the egg, because, you know, for example, someone who does have depression might also not eat as much. Right. So yeah. which one came first in a scenario like that? And then so really making sure you you get to um, the underlying problem. And then I would guess I would say like behaviorally, um, if you see an athlete who's got a lot of perfectionist behaviors and who are we kidding? Like <laughs> athletes do. Yeah. Um, Most endurance athletes. Yeah. Yeah. Or like really obsessive about, again, don't like the word, but it tends to paint a picture, clean eating or or needs to be lean all season long, mm-hmm. right? That athlete just wants to be in that race shape leanness all season long. I mean, you know, there was a really great, did you, were you on the Zoom call the other night with um, Hillary Stellingworth and Margot Mountjoy? No, I think Peter was though. Okay, yeah, so that was great. They had uh, four or five of Canada's top female runners on the Zoom call and then Dr. Margot Mountjoy and Hilary Stellingworth. And it was it was so great because, you know, what the athletes said was that those pictures that you see of them on social media when they're just ripped, right, because they're track runners, mm-hmm. um, that's like six weeks <coughs> of the year, right? Yeah. So they don't look like that all year long. And it's, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, they were trying to say, like, if you see that, don't think that we look like that all year long, because we don't want to give that impression. But that's what it's like to be like an elite athlete. So we're not seeing them in the other, you know, 10 months of the year. So that's important, because, you know, those types of, you know, you often see photos in peak competition. 
and then you think, oh, I want to be that ripped all year round too. And then that yeah. can lead to, now that would be intentional, right? Or just being overly critical of how you look, right? And your shape or refusing to stop exercising, even though your coach has recommended that you do mm-hmm. because you just can't stop training, well, uh, I think I just right? Like- yes. Yeah, so I mean, there's so many, <laughs> it just extends so far into so many areas that's yeah. uh, <clears throat> pretty far reaching. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to come back. You mentioned um, like the food journal and like food tracking. Um, I I completely agree with you about doing it for like a few days, especially to do like a consult with you to, you know, figure out what's actually going on. Where do you fall on like tracking sort of like all the time? Or is there like a, a way we can we can kind of keep track of what we're eating and taking in to make sure we're doing well without getting like, yeah, obsessive about it? Because I feel like I fall down yeah. that rabbit hole any any time I like start using a food tracker of any type very yeah. quickly turns into like a dieting mechanism even when i'm trying like not trying to let it be okay yeah no i mean completely understandable i think it's a great teaching tool and what i mean by that if you know a long time ago i used to give people meal plans i don't do that anymore um but when I did, I felt like, you know, although I was also teaching them, I had this sense that, oh, when we're done working together, you know, it's like, now what? What did I leave them with? So I taught them some things, but they were kind of dependent on that meal plan. Mm -hmm. So instead, I think it's really great to teach an athlete. And that's what I use logging for. So let's say we log for a week. Now, it doesn't come with weaknesses, right? So as soon as I tell right. you to log your food, you might start eating better. Yep. Yep. Right. Right. Or like when I ask someone to log, I'm very open to say I'm not judgmental. I do not care if you go to McDonald's five days a week. And I and when I say that almost every time they write me back and they say, I'm so glad you said that because I was feeling, you know, uncomfortable about writing such and such in the journal. Yeah. So it's like having that you know, building some trust and really showing that this is not about judgment. I just want to see where you're at, because how do we change where you're at if we don't know where you're at? Right. So it allows just to see a picture. And of course, it doesn't show me what's been happening for three months before. Mm-hmm. Right. So that that would be a downfall of it. But what I love, so I use chronometer, I have no relationship with them. I just love the app. And it's a great teaching tool because a, it has, so the foods have like 81 nutrients in them. So it shows all the micronutrients as well. And it has some really neat features that an athlete can log their food. And then there's these circles on the program. And one of them, for example, says bone health. So you can hover over the bone health circle and it'll pop up a box and show you which foods you ate that day that gave you the most calcium. Oh, right? neat. So it's, it's, yeah. So it's a bit of a learning experience. So I'll take people through that and be like, oh, so that meal has you know 300 milligrams of calcium that's a that's a good meal because we're trying to get you to let's say 1300 or a thousand and then you can just hover on you know for macro perspective it has carbs protein fats and whatnot and you can hover there and even just see where are most of your carbohydrates coming from and that gives you a quick glance of oh am i getting them mostly from junky food or am i getting a lot of them from you know higher quality foods so it's got some neat features. You're you're able to, you know, put in like post ride meal and like name different meals, different things so that we can just look at oh, what are you doing for recovery? So I guess I look at it as more of a teaching tool. My hope is that, you know, I'll help an athlete kind of learn what is forty grams of carbs look like. And so maybe they stop using the app, but we can just make a list that they can smack on their fridge that says a cup of rice is 40 grams of carbs, a baked potato is, you know, 40 grams of carbs. And then you can kind of just start, and you do, you start remembering, right? So Mm -hmm. then in your mind, you're like, okay, I need to eat 400 grams of carbs today. You start to just be able to kind of glance quickly and, and you learn over time. Like I... I'm big on the athlete making an investment too. Like you need to take some agency over this process. And if you're not going to get invested, you're probably not going to get as much out of it. So I kind of put that up front. Like how much work are you willing to do? Because I'm going to guide you, but you're going to do the work. And the reason is I want you to be successful when I'm gone. Yeah. Right. You're not going to come back like for necessarily like 10 years in a row. So it's not like personal training. So yeah, I really want it. I use it to teach. And then like you said, you have to do it every day. No, of course not. So I think 
I definitely want them to do it for a week. I've, I've hardly ever had an athlete not say, wow, I just learned so much. Mm-hmm. And like you say, the part that you have to be careful about is, are they getting obsessive? Right. And can you use it as a tool? And if they are, then I think that's when you really kind of turn more to maybe lists and blocks. Yeah. What is 20 grams of protein look like? Here's a list of examples that you can. So then if you need 100 grams a day, instead of logging, now you can just start making mental notes. Maybe look at that list on your fridge. That's 20 grams. That's 20 grams. That's 20 grams. And just, you know, it's pretty easy to add up five by 20 or whatnot. So that's the approach I would take if you know, it became like this is becoming obsessive. And, you know, that's not uncommon that yeah. it is. It's, um, and then other athletes just fall in love with it and don't become obsessive because they, what they do, and I think this is super useful and it allows you to not have to keep doing it. If you make a couple pre-race day plans in an app and then you just print them. So yeah, I, I think having a repeatable, pre-race day plan is smart because you're not going to try fancy new sushi restaurants or <laughs> buy meal before the race, right? So it's probably going to be really plain, um, familiar food. So why not make a pre-race day and then test it out in training and then just use it all the time. So then you can stick it on your fridge or just have it somewhere that you don't have to go back into the program and type it because it's time consuming, right? I realize that. Um, but yeah, I think as a teach, like, do you find that you, you learn when you log? Uh, yes and no. I would say I've probably done it so many times over the That's years true. that like it doesn't necessarily like teach me a ton anymore. It definitely did at first for sure. Um, yeah. Now I feel like I have I definitely have the tendency to like when I see and I blame my my old coach from like 15 years ago when I see that like 1800 number like get hit I uh, I'm immediately like oh, gotta stop it's just like this gut reaction I'm like no you don't keep eating what are yeah. you doing <laughs> um you just ran 15 miles today um but uh I've actually I've I've realized I really would love a food tra- a food tracking app that doesn't show display calories like right on the top um, oh, you can get rid of that. Yeah, and well, yeah. in chronometer, for example, you can get rid of the calorie. Display. And as soon as you said the chronometer, and I'm like, I should try this one. I've tried an Excel spreadsheet, and that actually helps too, because that just keeps me completely away from any like caloric, like metric or anything. And I like, yeah. I, I know all of the foods well enough to be able to quickly, like, at a glance, kind of tally them up after the fact. Yeah, um, but not having that number sort of like going up all throughout the day. Um, that I find stressful. So it's cool that yeah. that app lets you turn that off because I feel like that would be really useful for a lot of people to not have that in their face. Um, oh, for sure. And I'm often looking at grams per kilo anyways, not calories. Yeah. So, I mean, when I'm looking at that, it's like, okay, how many carbohydrates and, you know, protein and whatnot, and then iron and calcium. And, and it shows you every macronutrient, micronutrient, which is also really great. But you can, there is a feature to turn the calories off, Um but even you mentioned in the Excel, that's what I do when I'm looking, working with someone new, looking at, again, the intake and then whether it's their training peaks or whatever they're using, their expenditure. And again, these things aren't perfect, right? There's mm-hmm. going to be some error. But, you know, for the average athlete, and so let's say, you know, you're not the 1% Olympian that has a team around you necessarily. So then it's still giving you somewhat of a picture. So what did you take in what did you extend and expand in what's left over to operate your body and so like you said you know that what's left over if you need 1700 calories a day just to sit around right mm-hmm. that's probably your basal metabolic rate so if you only have that left over <laughs> you know that's kind of an eye-opener that yeah okay <laughs> but, you know we need to make sure that we're we have enough to also meet our energy needs yeah, and it doesn't take much to have energy deficiency, right? Low energy availability. It could just be you're missing 300 calories a day. Yeah. So it's not, yeah. right? It's accumulative. And Trent Sellingworth, uh, I mentioned one a paper that he had published, uh, I can't remember what year, but he, he had mentioned that if you cut as little as 300 calories a day, like that can accumulate to a month of no eating over the course of a year. Oh my gosh. Right? So and- if you the the crazy irony about that is like the cutting 300 calories a day if you read any like fitness magazine like women's magazine men's magazine whatever 
cutting 300 calories a day or 500 calories a day is their like typical recommendation for losing weight. So it's like, no wonder we're all like dropped back to that number, right? Yeah, for sure. And then on the other side of it, like more, I would say this is something I did when I was racing is the unintentional side of it, right? Mm -hmm. So we're you're eating, you think you're eating a lot, you maybe you are eating a lot, but you're expending 4000 calories. Yep. So you're just not really connecting the dots. And then it's like, God, why am I so flat? And you know, 10 years ago, when I was racing, like, reds wasn't, you know, talked about, or maybe it wasn't really out there. And even if I was interested in nutrition, I really wasn't aware that that's why I was flat, because I always had a great appetite. And but still, it wasn't enough. Right. And so that's why sometimes, you know, getting into the the numbers matters because you need how do you know what to change when you don't know what you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you mentioned the micronutrients, too, because I think that actually is one thing that gets missed in a lot of especially sports nutrition discussions. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like that's such a, a common thing, whether it's, you know, that someone's diet is mostly more on that like junk food spectrum. But even the, the clean eating can kind of leave some micros just sort of sort of behind I'd say especially when you get into sort of like the specific clean eating types like oh I only eat raw vegan or I only eat uh gluten-free keto vegan tarian something yeah (laughs) no absolutely I mean whenever you're in one of those strict diets like you're restricting full food groups and so you're probably missing something and then if you are in low energy availability just the sheer reduction in overall food intake could lead you to having let's say low iron but now instead of popping an iron pill what if you just met your energy needs and possibly just by eating enough food that have iron in them you could maybe ameliorate your problem there versus i'm just going to stay at this low energy availability and, and take pills to to fill these gaps oh look at it says i don't have enough omegas I'm just going to take omegas. Oh, I don't have enough calcium. I'm just going to take a calcium pill. Oh, and I don't have, but really maybe the problem is you're just not eating enough in order to get all of those things. So it is a really good point. It's like, it shows you that, but then you have to think, okay, so is it that my quality of food isn't good enough or is it that there's actually just not enough for Mm -hmm. me to, to meet all of those needs? So the micros, I mean, super important. I'm a big, um, I'm super interested in bone health, so for sure I'm always looking at athletes' calcium intake and how we can get that through the diet. And it's uh, you know it takes effort, right? Mm-hmm. It's not always, especially if you're you are like a vegan, right? Then you need extra effort to do that instead of just saying I'm just going to take calcium pills. Okay, so how can we look at those little things? And and it all adds up, right? Like you yeah. said, you could meet your calories through junk food, but the quality of your food is obviously very important yeah exactly um and now that i've mentioned the keto and the vegan and all of that um, are there any fad diets that are currently going around that you absolutely hate or like any nutritional uh quote-unquote advice that's going around that's been driving you crazy lately well i mean it's not necessarily like a, a hate that's for sure but i think when it comes to cycling as a sport and I'll say like competitive cycling when I say this. So, um, you know, as far as the ketogenic diet, there is some recent evidence from research uh, from Louise Burke in Australia that when they, in, I mean, this is really well done research on race walkers, Olympic level race walkers, and how that negatively impact, impacted markers of bone health. But even apart from that, I think what bothers me a little is this disconnect between like competitive level cyclists or or athletes in an endurance sport and maybe the more recreational athlete who has done a keto diet and feels better on it and says that I'm performing better I've never ridden so well and all these things and then believes that that extrapolates to the competitive cyclist yeah right because because it doesn't right and it and there's nothing um it's not to be at all condescending like i think it's great if an athlete uh feels good and better than they always have but there seems to be a disconnect that that doesn't mean an olympic cyclist is also going to (laughs) feel like this because you're not going to find an olympic road racer on a ketogenic diet because you need to be able to hit your top end and you know it's a very high intensity sport but there's yeah but that that 
athlete that's doing that seems to think that they are also, I guess, not competing, but performing at that level and that it should translate over. So I think there's a, you know, that muddies so many waters on social media. And, you know, the reality is a lot of people are reading those types of things. So it does matter. Um, it's a lot of noise, but people follow what they read on social media. Mm-hmm. So you just have to be like, you know, it, it instills this fear of eating carbohydrates and, you know, you're on a group ride and maybe some athlete is telling now a younger athlete, oh, I'm doing this keto diet, I'm feeling really amazing and I've lost all this weight and now you've suddenly maybe influenced that young athlete who wants to be a competitive bike racer and now they're afraid to eat carbohydrates. So that, that mm-hmm. bothers me not like the particular diet or or type of eating but it's just how yeah how it gets I guess shared amongst different groups and believed to be the way to go and when we know that you need a high carbohydrate diet to be an elite performing competitive cyc- road cyclist or yes. bike. yeah exactly exactly oh, amazing um is there any any last piece of advice nutrition wise that you would you would share with with any endurance athletes. I feel like we, we covered a lot there, especially around the, the red S. Um, yeah, I guess, stuff, I mean, <laughs> I definitely want to say this is not just about women, right? Yes. So I think there's a, a real, I don't know, it's almost like the culture of sport has, it just assumes that men want to be lean, like for performance reasons and for women, it's for aesthetic reasons. But I actually believe that, um, you know, there's a lot of men that are intentionally also restricting to reach, you know, a certain body composition. And, mm-hmm. and if those conversations are happening more and there are males in the Peloton coming out talking about disordered eating or, or eating disorders, I think that that's very important because you know, we need to realize that this is not only about women. There are men um, with osteopenia and, you know, it's uh, also dangerous for bones for men as well. But the one thing we didn't touch on, I just want to mention quickly, was the loss of a period. Oh, yeah. And um, unfortunately, I've had quite a few athletes who have lost their period and gone to their physician and been put on the birth control pill and then they get what, called the withdrawal period based on the hormones um, for three weeks on and then the one week off and so they kind of think oh I'm good now right I don't have that reds thing that I keep reading about because I get my period and so really they're just masking the underlying problem and that was that was me right so that was me during my seven years of racing that I was on the birth control pill I always got my period and so I was like oh I'm good I'm good right but Looking back, it's like, oh, I probably had lots of uh, low energy availability times and I just connected those dots. So that, you know, as far as seeing a doctor, I think what really matters there is that you see a doctor that understands what REDS is. So that's probably a sports medicine doctor. Um, We have Margot Mountjoy. She's um, out of Guelph and McMaster University. So around here, but just even bringing the consensus statement to your own doctor, you know, why not spread the information but it is it is very important if that is the situation for an athlete maybe it's time to to go and find a doctor who's familiar with reds and just make sure you know what are your hormones really like because now you might be masking that and if you're serious about sport you know you're really competitive cyclist and yeah i think that that's a really important thing that needs to be looked at more deeply yes i could not agree more Oh, amazing. All right. Where can everyone get in touch with you, find you, potentially consult with you, etc.? Yeah, I mean, my website is nsag.ca, nutritionsolutionsanguzman.ca, but it's also the shortened form. Um, and then I'm always sharing insights to science on Twitter. So it's Guzman Nutrition there. Um, I'd say like my Instagram is not really that (laughs) nutrition related it's more of just fun stuff but um, I'm sharing a lot of information on ProKit so if people aren't familiar with ProKit it's a cool new platform for educating athletes um, creating community I know you're on there too which is awesome with your podcast yeah and you've Um, been doing a podcast on there too 
Yeah, I've put three or four episodes up, which, you know, we're both the same. We just love learning and we're super curious. So, yeah, I had some people I wanted to um, ask some questions to, including yourself, but we're, we're getting there. Um, so definitely on ProKit, uh, just under my name, and I have some podcasts. And actually, I have a pretty lengthy article on uh, Reds in there, just like what it is, what to look for, behaviors, and, and even how to calculate um, low energy availability. And I have an example there of exactly how you would go through that for yourself. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode or any of our past episodes, please do us a huge favor. Leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us bring on, you know, great new guests. And yeah, we'd also love to hear from you. You can find us on the interwebs um, at consummateathlete.com, at consummateathlete on Instagram. uh, And I am at Molly J. Herford on Instagram and Twitter. And Peter is at Peter Glassford. Thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next week.